Well, we're starting this series called Summer Wreck. As we think about our summer culture, what does that mean and what might God want to say to us today? And the way I want you to kind of begin thinking about this, to begin to enter with me, is I want you just to picture with me a garage door. A garage door half open. Now, when you see a garage door half open, I bet for some of you it's just sheer anxiety because you're like, did I not push the button? Why is it half open? What's going on? I have that way. I check my garage like eight times after I leave for the fear it will not go down all the way. In fact, maybe you look at it and you go, is the garage going to go up or go down? Which would you rather it do in your life right now? Do you want to close off? Do you want to open up? I think back, and and most of you are too young to know this, but when I was growing up, we did not have automatic garage door openers. Ours was, Pete, close the door. And, uh, And what I remember in our neighborhood was most garage doors stayed open. In fact, they were open all the time, other than at night you close them so animals didn't get in. But we live in a culture today that does what with our doors? If we have garages, we close them. In fact, we close off to the world around us. We close off in many ways to each other. And summer can be even more of that. We tell ourselves, you know what? It's been a long year, which it has. We're really weary, which we are. And we say, I must go and simply be away, kind of take care of myself. And in our unique resort area, we tend to all have a different way we live over the three months of summer. True? It is true. And, and what we're simply trying to do is reclaim or capture this summer and summer itself as what's it mean as a follower of Jesus. It's interesting to consider in that we call it recreation, which really is re-creation. And in case you don't know, the way we understand all of history is that God made humanity, Adam and Eve, and they sinned. We all did. We all create a mess and there's decay. Everything is on a path to death. When Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, and he rises again. And in a sense, he isn't just forgiving us. He's bringing a new way to live, what we call recreation. He's bringing new what was before and what is broken. So I want to say this before we get started. The best recreation is his recreation. So why would we want to break from that all summer? And I simply want us to explore, we're going to do it in the coming weeks, each week, what some way we can engage more deeply in our faith in a season when we tend to close the door, not open it. And what might God do through that? So with that in mind, we're going to begin today looking at one of the many beautiful stories, one of the powerful, brilliant, amazing stories in the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We're going to look in Matthew's account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one kind of gives us a different picture of how Jesus walked the earth. And we're going to take it up in, a, in Matthew 9. Before we do that, I'll just tell you a little of what happened before. There's an a scene going on before this where Jesus and all these crowds come around, a man who's crippled is brought to him, and he tells the man, you're forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Now, all the religious leaders are quite angry at that. What's he doing? How could he do this? He knows what they're thinking, and so he says this, hey, why would you think this isn't possible? Turns to the man and says, hey, get up your mat, get up, take up your mat and walk. The dude who's crippled can suddenly walk. Tell me that's not amazing. By the way, that's recreation. It's recreation, brokenness, complete lameness Jesus brings life to. Tell me that's not better than just a little weekend away at the cottage. So that's where we've taken it so far. And now Jesus is the next scene in Matthew's account. It says, after this, as Jesus went on from there, 
he saw a man named Matthew. Matthew was sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, meaning Jesus told Matthew. Matthew got up and followed him. Now, there's a danger if you've been around the church a long time, the familiarity of this story. If not, I want to invite you in that we don't pass it over either because it's really easy to do. Matthew becomes one of Jesus' closest followers, and this is the story of how he got there. Now, what's significant about it is Matthew is a tax collector. We've shared about this other times. You can kind of gather from your own life that, you know, people that are tax collectors aren't generally well thought of, right? But this is a much different case. This is the reality that when you were a tax collector, you worked for Rome, who was oppressing Israel and all the people there. You took taxes from them, and the way you lived was you took extra to take care of yourself. You lined your own pockets. And Matthew probably did well at it, and many of them did, and the people you were most apt to take from were those most in need because they were the easiest to take from. Guess what? Matthew violates everything in the way Israel was to live because not only were they to be honest, they especially were to care for those in need and the poor. And in case you don't know, a tide of physical poverty and spiritual poverty, God regularly shows us in Scripture. They all are together, not meaning that if you're not uh, physically poor, you're not spiritually, but they're both commonalities. Even if we're not physically poor, we are spiritually poor. There's a beauty in our understanding that. So anyway, we know that he's bad in that zone. Now, there's a secondary problem, which is that Matthew also, in taking all this tax money, takes money from the pagans and the Jews, and it goes back and forth. So basically, he's touching dirty money and moving dirty money, and that makes him even worse. In a sense, you might say he is someone Jesus should not be around. So Jesus talking to him alone would be scandalous, let alone what Jesus is saying is, hey, Matthew, I'm a rabbi, come and hang out with me and become my disciple. I just want you to understand the scandalousness of this because it's a great help for us. Matthew, in every regard, should have been unworthy of this call. In every regard, religiously, he had no business being asked, and Jesus asked him. Now, I love that because it reminds us, you and I are our own messes, aren't we? We actually have a little phrase around here alongside of our mission. We say together because life is... Messy. Now, we don't just mean life itself happens to us in mess, though that's true. It means we create our own messes. You you get that, right? Uh, Just a little confession here. I think I've shared some before, but I am the messiest person in my entire family and extended family. When we have meals together, my dog goes to my place, not to any of the grandchildren that are young and spilling things, because for some reason, I can create a mess out of nothing. I literally can have one thing, and somehow when I'm done, there's already a mess. You're welcome. You might want to ask my wife what that's like. It's to keep joy. What I want you to understand, though, is while that's a physical mess, every one of us has our own emotional, spiritual, sin, messed up ways, don't we? That's what we understand. So Matthew isn't just a a character that's kind of scandalous. He's you and me. And Jesus just says two words to him, follow me. You know, I've often wondered, don't you wonder what Matthew processed? Was he getting out his, like, his pro-con list? Well, follow Jesus, stay and make some more money. Was he looking at the cost-benefit ratio of this? Was Matthew just kind of worn down by all the people that were hating him and like, oh, I'm tired of being the bad guy anyway? Like, we don't have any indications of what happened. And oftentimes, even when we talk about Jesus inviting us, we try to reason through it. I've come to this conclusion. I don't think there was reasoning for Matthew. I think he just heard Jesus say, follow me, 
and he couldn't help but get up. There's something about Jesus that he went, I don't even know what this means, but I'm going. And maybe before we go anywhere with anything missional or anything we do, we should return to the very idea that Jesus says to you and me, every single one of us, follow me. He looks at you and he says, follow me. Tammy, follow me. Tom, follow me. Tim, follow me. Dave, follow me. He says your very name. And he just says, come, man, I want you to be with me. Not, and this is how we live in our day. Jesus, I receive you. Now go with me where I'm going. You follow me and be alongside of me. But the invitation of Jesus is follow me. As we enter this series, I think some of us who've been Christians need to ask a different question. Hey, have I kind of made Jesus tag along or am I really open to saying I'll follow you? Am I really willing to respond to his invitation, follow me, whatever that means day by day and moment by moment in my life? And then I think there's some of us here, though we've been in church all our lives, or parts of our lives, we might say, I love the idea of Jesus whispering to me, but it's foreign. And I want to say to you, it doesn't have to be. We keep praying that it'll be clear, and we don't want anything to block your hearing, but it's simply an invitation Jesus makes looking at us in our brokenness and says, hey, follow me. There's something so much better than your little life of recreation and getting away to recreation and new life. Follow me. And then I would be remiss not to say to anybody here or watching, if you are not a follower of Jesus, we want you to hear that invitation. Whether you hear it today as we talk about it, whether it continues to you tomorrow or the next day, we want you to be in journey with us that you just listen as Jesus invites you, follow me. It might be in little things. It might not be ready to follow all the way. It might just be follow me, and it's the way you love someone in that moment. It's the way you move towards someone in that moment. But you will begin to identify and understand that he's speaking to you, that you are his cherished son or daughter. He doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at any of us and go, here's your sin package. Fix it. He looks at you and goes, in your brokenness, I love you. I see who I made you to be, and I want to redeem and change who you are into who you can be. I love you, follow me. Now that's the impetus for everything we're gonna do from here. Everything we're gonna do today and in the weeks ahead as we look at this idea of summer wreck, this idea of missional living that Jesus starts simply with an invitation to follow him. If you leave with nothing else, would you take your summer, all that you have planned, and lay it down and just say, Jesus, I'll follow you, whatever you got. You have to trust that it will be better than what you have planned. Now, it doesn't mean it's all gone. It means you're letting go and saying, what do, I, what do you have? Now, when Jesus does this, it's scandalous. In fact, as he continues, it's not really seen very positively. Jesus, though, moves on. While he's, this is right afterwards. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, so he goes from inviting him to going to Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. This is where it goes into trouble. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, see this, and they ask his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, it may be intuitive. You may see it and go, well, that makes sense. Why would he hang out with these kind of low lifes is the way we might say in our day and age. But I want to begin with the fact that Jesus is having dinner with them. Literally, in the, in the language, it, it's translated so it's modern so we get it, but it literally says he was reclining at the table, not just having dinner. When you recline at the table, it means it's a special celebration, and the fact that Jesus is reclining means he's a guest of honor. 
So the first thing Matthew did after Jesus said follow him was he had him over for dinner, honored him, and he brought all of his friends that he was hanging out with. Isn't that awesome? Because guess what? Matthew was so engaged and inspired. He thought, I want other people that I know to know him. I want them to meet him and, fi- and find him too. I mean, I can't believe this. He took me as tax collector. We know I'm not thought of well. And then he's bringing all of his friends in. Now that creates trouble. That's why the Pharisees ask the question they do. Because there's kind of two levels of this. One is they're shocked that he would pick Matthew to be a disciple. That's already strike one against the rabbi. In case you don't know, when a rabbi picks a disciple, which is what he's done by saying, follow me, it also means he's responsible for their conduct. So he basically took somebody that's got a pretty bad list right now and said, you're my disciple. But the other step is not only did he take him, he then invites his friends and lets them all be around him who are also not considered very highly religious or moralistic or living the way they should. I mean, it's kind of amazing when you think about it. Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. Matthew brings all of his friends that are there, and the Pharisees are like, that is not good. Because, boy, if you're going to take a bad dude like this, you better at least get him free of the people that are a bad influence. Think about this in our lives. When someone comes to faith, we're often like, hey, you got to change your friendships. You need to move out of this thing. That's a bad group for you. That's the things we often hear around the church. Pharisees are saying the same thing. And yet that's not where Jesus is. Jesus responds to this really accusation. He's aware of it, even though he asks the disciples and not him. On hearing this, he said this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what I mean, what this means. This is a a prophetic passage. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. In essence, what's happening in this moment is that these Pharisees are saying to Jesus, listen, in your neighborhood, in the way you live, it's really simple, man. Close the door. Close the door on this life you shouldn't live and have people around you shouldn't and move in another direction. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Open the door. Like a doctor, I'm here for the sick. Open the door. You are trying to do this thing in a way that you appear righteous by the sacrifices you calculate. Instead, I want you to live mercifully. I want you to see people as I do. This is different than what you think it will be. That's really what he's saying. All that you think it should be to follow me, all that you think it should be to live for God is different than you're actually living. You've got it wrong. This is something new. Now, in case you don't believe that, the next two passages, the next two parts of the story that follow both reinforce this reality. They both help us to understand in a different way to drive home the same point that Jesus is doing something different. He continues on. Matthew tells us, John's disciples then come to him and ask him. Now this is a story on its own, but it also gives us picture back. How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? In case you don't know, fasting is when you withhold food, you don't eat it for a time as a spiritual practice. They did it here often as a way to cry out to God, say, we're a mess, we need you, please help. If we fast, maybe you'll move. Not what's intended, though. He says, how how come you don't? And Jesus says this, and your disciples don't. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. In other words, don't pay too much attention to the fasting part. That comes and goes. What I want you to hear in this is, Jesus is telling them it's a new day. Something new is happening. Stop living so caught up in the way you think it should be. And let it be something different. He reinforces it with one more story. 
No one sews patch of unshrunk cloth in an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making it tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. I would love to invite you to consider this. What if Jesus wants to move in a new way in your life? Because that's what he's saying. When I come and when I move, it's different. It's new. And, and I'll, I'll let you know, we all have ages that we love when the church does something new or we're brought to something new. It's a phase that we'll go through and go, I love it. But when it happens after the phase that we've experienced, we often look back and go, no, 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 no. It was new then. Now it shouldn't be anymore. Now it shouldn't be. What you're doing really is not the way we should go. And make no mistake, Jesus is recreating, which means he's doing new things, which means he'll do it new ways. And guess what? It will always rattle our cages. You do realize that, don't you? I'll give you one simple example. Anyone who, who is older, and even some of us in that middle point, and maybe some of you younger, may love hymns. It's fascinating how people think that hymns are really the way it should be. Do you know, for example, when Wesley's brought hymns to their culture, everyone hated it, and they were really mad that they were messing with how it used to go. The very things we now look back and say it should be that way were new at one time, and people hated it. And the reason I want you to hear this is, please don't just jump and say don't do it because it's not the way we've done it. Jesus will move in your life in new ways. He will invite you to do things you haven't done and he will move in ways we haven't seen because he is the God who recreates, who does new work. Everything about this story is reminding us of that. Everything about this whole section of text is reminding us that Jesus is doing a new thing. Let me just show it to you in kind of a broader look. Listen, this is the way we've done it. The healthy are the ones that the, the religious leaders go to. It's about being healthy. It's who you are. Jesus says, no, no, no. It's about being with the sick. It's about those in need. And in case you don't realize this, you know there are no healthy ones. I want to make sure you get that. Jesus isn't saying, oh, no, you're good. You're healthy. What he's saying is you think you're healthy because you're moralistic, but your work at being moral doesn't change you. Only my love and my work will do that. Jesus says, I came to bring mercy, not doing sacrifice so it works for you and puts you ahead, but mercy, meaning you actually give people the love you've been given. It, it always hits me that when I'm unable to love someone because of what they're doing, I probably don't understand the love of Jesus enough and how much I need him. When I can look and go, no, 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 they're just wrong, that's just bad, and I don't realize how deeply merciful Jesus has been it creates a humble posture in how I respond, and that's what Jesus is saying. Oh, by the way, I'm here for sinners, not for the self-righteous. I added self, but that is what he meant. And by the way, I'm moving in a new way, not simply the familiar way. When I was working on this week, I, I kept thinking about how many forces in our culture are driving us away from living out missionally. I keep thinking of how busy we are and how overrun we are and how full of opportunities we are and even the ways our views of what government should be have separated us and in and out one thing after another. It's like we've spent in our whole lives pushing that garage door more and more down. 
And Jesus said, no, 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 I got a new way. I want you to open that door. I don't want you to look in the back of your heart. I don't want you to hide to just take care of yourself. I want you to know that actually as you give yourself to help others, as you move in some direction towards others, you will actually find life and energy and new purpose. Recreation is better than recreation. Come on, that'll preach. That's a good phrase, isn't it? I mean, it is. Jesus wants to recreate. He wants to bring new life, not just give us a break from the hard life. He says to you, all of us, you think you're broken? You don't think you can bring something? (sighs) Follow me. I got news for you, and what we're going to do together is what you never imagined. You think you can achieve this on your own? You think you don't need it? He's still saying, follow me. He's just saying, set down your pride. Set down your moralism. Set down the things you think make you better than. And start asking me to help. Man, I got new life for you. I think part of the reason he picks the people he does, and and Paul says the same thing to the early church. Hey, you thought none of you were of great standing when Jesus got you. It's not because God wants to be against people that have more. It's because people that have more don't think they need him. When we have much, we kind of start to think it's us. Jesus is saying, if you can really let go of that, man, come. I got better. Recreation, way better than recreation. He's got something more for us in this life, something more that he wants to do in and through us. As we begin this series, we want you to simply get this. We've said this regularly, that you're to be deployed, and we want to start with you being deployed as neighbors. Listen, if you don't know where to go or who to reach out to or how to engage, we think the first thing is, just like Matthew, the Lord's saying to you, follow me. And the first place you follow him is just opening up your garage door and moving towards the people around you. And the reason we say that is very simply this, because we're called to love our neighbors. And it is one of the areas that we in the church and in our community have shut our doors to and forgotten the people around you. Most of us live near somebody. You don't have to actually have a garage door, by the way. It's fine if you don't. It's fine if you have a, it's fine if you don't have a car. Wherever you live, there are people around you. If you're so isolated that no one's with you for a mile, come and see me. I will help you. You can come hang out with my neighbors. But God is calling you to move towards people, to open the garage door, to find recreation, not recreation, to begin to invite others into the life. I'd love to be at that dinner with Matthew and all these tax collectors and sinners and just see what Jesus was like, loving them and befriending them. One of my aches in all of this is we oftentimes treat it kind of moralistically, like, hey, we're good Christians, we do the good stuff, there's those bad people out there and we need to go convert them and get them to us. You know what I found out with my friends that aren't Christians? Man, they are amazingly wonderful people. What I ache for is I want them to know Jesus because it gives, he's the one that not only will forgive them but give them life and purpose. They're not a project that I've somehow am better than. They're friends that I cherish and simply why wouldn't I want them to have the best thing I have? You can't get there if you don't know them. I guarantee you, you move towards people, you will get to know them. And man, Christ will help you get to love them because you'll see them as he does. We are deployed as neighbors to love our neighbors. Simple idea, simple thought, anywhere you go. We want to equip you and help you. We have some resources on our website, allshores.org slash summerrec. One of our ideas that we think could be helpful to you is have your own party. They actually, people call them Matthew parties. You can have a block party. We would love for you to gather the people around you and just hang out and have fun and get to know them.
We're not asking you to do it and then quick sneak in a gospel presentation. We simply want you to learn and love them and hang out with them. We've even designed uh, these block party kits. We have several at our campus and one at each of the other campuses. You can contact Tina Ross from our office if you'd like to use one. Uh, it's just tina.ross at allshores.org or talk to uh, Evan, our campus pastor here. We want to equip you so you can get out and basically engage with your friends and the people around you in your neighborhood. Have some kind of way to engage, have some kind of party that you can get to know them. Maybe for you that will be one-on-one, -on -one. maybe it's just inviting one family, but begin to move towards people because guess what, in this summer, we are deployed as neighbors to love our neighbors. If you don't know what to do, I know for me, even during COVID, one of the things I started doing was just checking in with my neighbors at that time over text saying, hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can be praying for? What's happening in your life? You know that no one has ever been torqued at me for offering to pray for them? I've never had anybody say, oh, don't ever talk to me again. I'm done. <laughs> now, they'll be polite at, at worst. Oh, okay, well, yeah, blah. But here's the beauty of it. Whether they think it matters or not, it's all right because God hears you. And guess what? When you start asking what's going on and you can pray for, you start to learn about your neighbors. And when you start praying, guess who changes? You do because you care. And guess what? God moves in that too. And we're deployed as neighbors. It's not recreation, it's recreation. And God's calling you like he called Matthew, come follow me, come on, follow me. You know, it doesn't tell in this account, it tells in Mark's that Matthew left everything to follow him. And I think that always trips us up. We are so scared of what we're gonna lose to follow Jesus. And I can't, I cannot um, soften that for you. Oh, don't worry, you'll have everything you want. You might lose everything. But man, when you hear the voice of God saying, follow me, I think you're willing to go, you shouldn't know what it means. We should step out not knowing what this will actually cost us. It is so much better when you don't know and God meets you on the way. Stop worrying about the cost and just hear his very voice going, follow me. Man, what I have is better than you. You don't need recreation, you need recreation. It's not just about you getting away and getting better so you can keep being busy and overly burdened and carrying all the crud you're carrying. It's something so much more meaningful. You can be part of knowing me and you can be part of changing and loving the people around you. Come on, isn't that better? We're deployed as neighbors to love our neighbors. Not recreation, recreation. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask uh, for each person, I, I don't know what you wanna say to them individually, but I pray you'll even bring people to mind for them today. Lord, that you would help them in a fresh way just to picture the people around them that you're inviting them to invite into life, to open the garage for. But even before that, God, I'm praying those that have not heard your whisper or those who've forgotten it or those who kind of moved away from it, they'd hear your very whisper, follow me. They would hear the warmth of your call. They would hear the love of your call. They would discover what it means to be loved by you for who they are and not what they do. And God, the deeper they grow, may they discover how you want them to move and love others more deeply. Lord, we're asking to be like Matthew, people that love the people around us, to be the way you call us to be, to love and care for those who are sick, to be with those who are broken, to bring mercy and bring love. God, would you push away, would you burn away from us this religiosity that says it must be this way, and may you bring an openness to us that says whatever way we'll follow. Lead us into the new works you're doing in our lives, in our church, in our community. We pray this in your name. Amen.